and welcome to Avenger Bros, your weekly podcast about discipleship, biblical literacy, and historical context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shiver. And Don, what do we mean when we say we're their weekly podcast about discipleship, biblical literacy, and historical context? What does that mean? It's the idea of discipleship, aligning our belief with our behave. Uh, biblical literacy is learning the wholeness of Scripture, not just fragmented pieces that suit our needs. And uh, cultural context is understanding the Bible in its uh, original setting to the best of our ability. Yeah, so what our goal is with this podcast, and at least what we're doing right now, is to introduce you to some new ideas about things that you may have never heard in the text, re-familiarize yourself with old stories, and hopefully see them through new lenses. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so that being said, last week we talked a lot about Noah, and um, we just kind of want to explain what we're doing right now. As you know, we said that we're going through the Torah portions for the next foreseeable future, unless we get some suggestions on what to do. Um, and Don, I know you wanted to address that. Yeah, I just wanted to kind of first of all, Torah portions is kind of the Jewish lectionary that. Uh, existed as far as we know as far back as Jesus uh, and prior uh, and so it's just a section of the text uh, that each Sabbath is read and then studied and talked about throughout Jewish households uh, for many years over and uh, the thing I kind of wanted to make sure that our, our listeners uh, understood was that this time uh, is really just George and I having a conversation about the text. Uh, we don't have a goal to sermonize it. We don't have a goal to give you something nice, neat, and wrapped up. But George is going to ask me some questions, and I'm just going to kind of off the top of my head uh, discuss some of the things that I've learned throughout the years, and George is going to share some of his experience and learnings as well. Uh, and we really don't have a goal with this other than to kind of talk about the text and give you some insight in what it looks like to sit around with some friends and and have a theological conversation about life text and faith yeah i mean basically when don and i set out to do evangelos we just wanted to capture what happens when we get together and talk and this is you know these last couple of weeks have probably been the truest form to that than yeah the previous because we're not trying to achieve it. something yeah um, so that being said, let's dive into this week's portions. Yeah. Um, it is centered around Abram. Yes. And it is right after. So last week during the during the portion readings, we were given a cameo of Abram. This week, we take it up right through and up before uh, Sodom. Yes. So, done. Anything you want to talk about specifically with this portions before we get rolling in everything? Uh, you know, I think that it's, it's a good section to be reminded that this entire plan after God. So go back and listen to last week's if you haven't, but you know, God's entire plan, the Genesis one and two section is be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then it ends with, the same kind of statement to Noah to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then God ultimately uh, fills the earth by the scattering of the people at the Tower of Babel since the people still were reluctant to fill the earth. And now we begin this Torah portion section called Lech Lecha, 
uh, which any of my Hebrew speaking friends would be rolling their, uh, <laughs> roll their eyes at my pronunciation. But um, we're beginning this section that after all of these stories that seem to gather around this idea of being fruitful and multiplying, the shock is that the Hebrew father is childless. And Abram and Sarai are unable to have children. They are barren. And so here is such an intriguing way to start this story of uh, a couple who is barren, yet uh, God's command has consistently been, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so we're left with this intriguing moment as we get introduced to the father of our faith that cannot have children. Yeah. So uh, this starts with God telling Abram, leave your father's household. And, uh, you know, it's a great introduction to Abram. One of my favorite things that I've ever read. Um, I can't remember if it came from the Talmud or a Midrash, but talking about uh, Abram saying, I heard from Yahweh, trying to explain to his dad that, you know, I'm being called out from beyond this area. Yeah, so, so tradition has it that Abram uh, was able to look at the moon and the sun and the stars and determine from that that God exists uh, and uh, kind of walks backwards, uh, if you will. He, uh, in some way, uh, oh, what's the word when you use it with technology, when you uh, begin with a finished product and you take it apart and you Deconstruct? No, not deconstruct. It's uh, reverse engineered. Oh, got it. So uh, Abraham or Abram at this moment. Just so you know, I'm probably going to say Abraham most of the time because he gets renamed Abraham. So yeah, forgive spoiler me. alert. Um, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to ruin that for anyone that didn't know that. Um, but, you know, he, that Abraham kind of reverse engineers a belief in God based on what he observes. So kind of natural order in some way. Uh, leads Abraham to imagine that there is something greater than the heavens. Uh, and this is how he comes to his conclusion. So there's another great tradition, uh, George, I think you're familiar with, I think I may have shared it with you, or you've, uh, if not, you've probably have read it, where uh, Abram's father is a idol, yeah. idol salesman. You know, not that he is idle like a lazy salesman, no, but he sells idols. Uh, and... Uh, and so his father goes away uh, on a business trip or something. I don't really know. But it's this great story where while the father's away, Abram has become convinced of God and uh, has become unconvinced about idol worship. And so Abram goes around and takes a stick and smashes all the idols in his dad's shop with this stick all except for the largest of the idols. And he puts the stick in that idol's hand. And when his father returns home, his father is like, Abram, what did you do? And Abram's like, what do you mean, what did I do? Your largest idol rose up and and killed all the other idols. And his father was like, Abram, that's ridiculous. The idol cannot do that. And I made it from my own hands. Like, right. It can't just come alive. Right. And so Abram was like, Yep, that's my point. And kind of like made a point that uh, the idols were powerless. 
uh, and that uh, so this becomes this this amusing somewhat uh, story or midrash about the life of Abram before he heads out uh, to follow God. Now, George, um, I always found it interesting that God says, uh, "Go to the land I will show you." Right? Like, yeah, it's not, like not the one I've told you about. Not the one that you think it's going to be, but just start walking that way. Yeah. Hang a left at the oak tree. Yeah. And keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've always particularly enjoyed that myself. It's like it's a preamble for the Exodus. Well, and, you know, I don't know about you, but it also just feels in a lot of ways a preamble to my life in so many ways that God's <laughs> like, all right, Don, here's what I want you to do. Yeah, I want you to just go, and then we'll figure it out as we get there. Yeah. Hey, ministry is what you're going to do. <laughs> right. So just start walking that direction, and you'll be fine. Yeah. I can't ever tell if uh, church planting is a version of this go, and I'll tell you where uh, I'm taking you, or it's just a flying, burning bush. <laughs> I can't ever <laughs> yeah. tell. Yeah, it's almost like the end of uh, the Odyssey when Odysseus is told to walk towards or take take a take a row with you or an oar and just walk until somebody asks, "Hey, is that a winnowing blade?" Nope, they have no idea what it is. Plant it, walk back the other direction, go home. I am not familiar with that story. I don't want to spoil it for you, but that's the end. I really feel like you have spoiled it for me. He comes home. It's fine. Anyway, yes. So God shows or God appears to Abraham. I'm going to say Abraham also. Yeah, just just go for it. Don't don't worry about it. We're going to flip flop back (laughs) and forth. And uh, we're going to be like a politician. Yeah. So the the covenant is made with Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12. Yes. uh, To go into a place I will show you. Um, I will make a, your people plenty. You'll have generations. Yes, which has to be absurd because we just find out that Sarah is barren. Yeah, and, so and he's seventy at this right. point. Yeah, this and this is something that's really I think important that we miss. And this is a cultural and context thing: is that in in ancient times it was would have been really unlikely for a couple to stay together that long in barrenness. Uh, typically, the woman would have been discarded by that point um, because the only view of a world to come, the only view of carrying on a legacy or whatever was descendants. And so this idea that Abraham would have stayed with Sarah for so long, because of course they assume that the woman is the problem with barrenness, not that the man uh, oh, yeah. has any issue. But, you know, to me... No, it's not his fault. He's old. He just got out of the pool. Right. It's fine. What is getting out of the pool? Explain that, Jerry. Or it's George. A, it's a Seinfeld joke. So, uh, so like, this is really interesting to me. It already shows a little bit. And I know that for us, we kind of maybe want to uh, buck against this. But in some ways, it already is beginning to demonstrate the character of Abraham. That Abraham is old. He's grown old with Sarah. And even though they were unable to have a child, that Abraham has this deep sense of justice, loyalty, faithfulness to his wife, yeah. um, his spouse. And so in some ways, this is a characteristic that God sees and admires in Abraham. 
And so he tells Abraham to leave. And, you know, the other part that always gets me that also fits with church planning is, you know, not just as God say, uh, go and I'll show you uh, the land, uh, you know, I'll reveal to you the land I'm taking you to, but also no sooner does he leave and there's a famine, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden there is no means to get resources. Yeah. So you, it, you know, the number of times in my faith journey, and this isn't just church playing, but just faith journey where you feel like you kind of step out in faith and you're like really proud of yourself. You got that like, yeah, yeah, I finally did something faithful. And then it doesn't go the way you expected. And you're like, but wait a second. I, I, I did what you asked me to do. Yeah. Shouldn't I be blessed right now? And instead of there being this beautiful oasis and plenty of resources and stuff, instead here I am in a famine and the famine is going to drive me into a space and a place, right? Abraham, where, uh, where he feels he might actually be in danger because of his relationship with Sarah. Um, and so not only is there, famine not only is he uh unable to have children and has promised all these descendants and not only is he faithful and doesn't even know where he's going he now ends up in a foreign land where his life is threatened uh because of his love for sarah uh and just a really interesting beginning story uh to kind of set the stage for abram Yeah, and, you know, so they find themselves in Egypt because of the famine. Right. And, you know, uh, because of Sarah's beauty, Abram tells her, tell everybody I'm your brother so they don't kill me. Mm -hmm. And then after Pharaoh kind of gets to know her a little bit, they are stricken with diseases. Yep. And it's like we get a a little morsel of what's to come in Exodus. With this. Yeah. And this is the first time we hear of a prophet in the text because oh. uh, Abraham is called a prophet. Um, and so this is the first encounter we have with this idea of a prophet of God in the text. And the first indication of a prophet isn't like the most favorable <laughs> setting, right? He just told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister, though not technically untrue. <laughs> it's not the full story right um and so this is such an interesting thing that kind of sets our entire text up with this bewildering uh episode in in egypt yeah and then after everything kind of gets straightened out and the diseases stop uh we see abraham or abraham and sarah leave and they're given gifts yeah of that increased their wealth very much. And then Abram and Lot, who's Abraham's nephew, uh, right. their camps just become entangled because of the amount that they have. Right. So they have to split. Yeah, this this land ain't big enough for the two of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so Abram uh, gives Lot the choice of where to go. Again, and- a beautiful picture of Abram. Like, we are really setting up the character of Abram here, Right. Abram looks over all the land and tells Lot, you get first choice. What what an amazing thing. Like, if anything, Abram has the right to declare what is Abram's and to give Lot the leftover. But instead, 
Abram offers Lot first choice. Again, just another glimpse into the character of Abram. Yep. And so uh, Lot decides to go live in Sodom. Yes, because what does he call it? What does he say that when he looks at that land, what does he he describe it as? Uh, well, well watered like the garden of the Lord. Like the garden of the Lord, like Eden. Yeah. So he sees this land and he says, this is the land. Like he didn't, he wasn't kind of like shy about taking the best stuff, right? I mean, he looked around and picked absolutely the best, best land uh, when he does. And so he, he takes this land that happens to be where Sodom is located. Yep. And so because of that, uh, Abram moves over to what we know as Canaan. Mm-hmm. And God tells Abram, look left, right, up, down, east, west, north, south. This is where your ancestors will eventually be. Yes, I will expand your tent to all these corners. Yes. And then war breaks out. Yeah, and, you know, again, here comes Abram to the rescue, right? Lot Lot ends up swept away, captured with this war and... Uh, Lot has to be rescued by Abram. And then Abram doesn't even keep any of the spoils. Uh, yeah. Again, showing you kind of this picture of of Abram. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but this is, okay, so um, now that we've kind of set the ground for what's been going on and through most of these portions, I want to talk about something that uh, is a character that we see in Genesis and then we see again in Hebrews, and that's Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Okay. Uh, who, after the battle is uh, done, he comes out with bread and wine and is named as a priest in the order of God Most High. Correct. And that's all we know about him. And we know that Abram gives a tenth of all he has to Melchizedek. Correct. So I, I think that this is the first time while I've been reading it in preparation for this week, that I realized that, you know, and I I know one of the things um, that we try and not do is let the New Testament, or at least something, it's a practice that I try and not do, is I try not to let my reading of the New Testament inform my reading of the Old Testament or um, of Torah because it should be the opposite. Torah should influence that. But right, like, we read the Bible from left to right, not right to left. Yeah. But one of the things that really just kind of jumped out to me this time was um, the the bread and wine is just this imagery of, it like, it brought up the Last Supper to me. Okay. And um, if I remember correctly, Jesus is also in the order of Melchizedek in Hebrews. Yes, according to Hebrews, yes. I would love to know what your thoughts is on all this because I've never heard you talk about Melchizedek or this part of the text or any of that. And I don't know. Yeah. I think primarily I, I, I don't find Melchizedek all that interesting to be honest. I, you know, he's this, this individual that we only see mentioned a handful of times in the text. And, uh, you know, I think this is where, you know, last supper imagery of, of this is again us reading the new testament to the old testament because i would argue if anything we should read this as a picture of passover um a picture of you know in some way that uh, death was averted 
Um, and because, I mean, after all, the Last Supper is the Passover Seder. Yeah. And uh, so wine and bread has been a staple of Jewish uh, religion and faith and uh, liturgy, ritual. Uh, and so this seems to make sense that he is offering, he's having bread and wine. I don't think that there is a connection to make with it being communion-esque Last Supper. However, I do think that when Jesus talks about the bread and the wine, that he would have considered Melchizedek's offering here uh, as Abram was a part of rescuing uh, these people that were caught up in war as Jesus is you know, teaching and speaking to a group of people who are captured in war by the Rome. So I think that there is some relatability there. I just don't know that... Um, is, I, I don't see the Last Supper as much as I would say Jesus might see Melchizedek in some of his language around uh, bread and wine. Yeah, and you know, I like I said, um, that was just something that came to mind, but I'd never heard you talk about. Yeah, it's because there's not much information. I mean, like you said, all we know is these two things, right? We don't know. Everything that's left is speculation. There's not even a whole lot of writing on Melchizedek, at least that I'm aware of or that I've read. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I remember when I, um, a number of years ago when I was teaching Hebrews and that came up, reading how there's um, some rabbinical thought that, you know, he was the the king of Jerusalem at the, or what was Jerusalem at the time, which is why it's Salem. Mm. Um, and But the thing that I really love about this character is here is another person in the text that has experienced Yahweh. Not right. not only has experienced Yahweh, but is a priest in that. Yeah. And that if that doesn't blow your mind open, I don't know what will because Yeah. That's just beautiful. Yeah, I suppose that that's just too normalized for me at this point that I don't really think about that anymore, you know, uh but yeah, I think for a lot of people who imagine that God only spoke to one or two people and God didn't interact with all of creation uh, and that God's spokespeople were just this very particular people group, that that is, uh, is, is shocking. Uh, at this point, I'm convinced from the readings that I've done is that God has always participated within the entirety of all the world. Uh, and that people have found different ways of expressing that relationship with God. Uh, and the beautiful moments are when those two uh, communities collide in some way and find commonality. And that's the beauty that I find in the text often. So, yeah, I hadn't, I, it's been a while since I've reflected on that part of Melchizedek that you have someone outside of the Hebrew people who seem to have found favor with God and honor God and worship God in meaningful ways. Yeah, and so like right after that meeting, what we have is the actual covenant um, with Abram. Yeah. So something that touched upon in the beginning of the Torah portions, but here we have after uh, these two people meet, God saying, but you're the one that I'm actually going to be sticking with. Like you, you're the one that's going to bless all nations. Yeah. Even though you can't have children right now. Right. Yeah. I, I always thought that passage was interesting um, because we tend to stop because the passage says, uh, I will bless 
everyone who blesses you and I will curse everyone who curses you. And we kind of stop there at that, at that punctuation. And I think it's really interesting because the next line is, do you have it there? I'm trying to pull it up right now. So that's actually in the beginning of 12. So it's in 12, two and three. So George, I, I don't know what your text says there, but, um, so we often read, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you. So we usually stop there, but what's that next line? And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Right. So no one's blessed. No one's cursed. Right. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And therefore all the families on the earth will be blessed. Like what an interesting statement, which seems to imply that God does not imagine that anyone is going to curse Abram. That Abram is, is such a, a person, such a character, such a, uh, a person of high integrity that people will only bless Abraham. Yeah. I mean, if God said that to me, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, God would say, and therefore I will have to curse a whole lot of people because, Don, people curse you. Or actually, I might just find someone else. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or God just would not approach me with this possibility. Yeah. So, um, but I want to jump back to uh, Genesis 15 real quick because okay. this last part of this chapter is what you used early on to blow up my theology. Mm. Yeah. So talk more about that. So years ago, Don asked me why I thought Jesus died on the cross. And I gave every Sunday school answer under the sun. And then he asked me, okay, but that doesn't answer why Jesus died. Well, even your, your answers, right, which were, if I remember correctly, because died for our sins, which is a typical response. Yeah, right? because we were sinful. Because yeah. Right. But, you know, I think it's important, though, to point out, and this is what I point out to you, is that Jesus forgives sins before he dies on the cross. Yeah, God forgave sins. God forgives sins all throughout the Hebrew Bible before Jesus even arrives on the scene. And so I think your next answer was, you know, to overcome death. Yes. Right. And then, you know, well, well, Elijah and Moses are on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Uh, yeah. Jesus, Enoch didn't die. Right. Enoch walks with God. We just mentioned that in our last episode. Right. Uh, and so Elijah, uh, you know, taken up in the chariot and you have Jesus referring to Abram, Abraham's bosom as if Abraham is still alive. He uh, Jesus tells tells the Sadducees who do not believe in a resurrection that God is the God of the living Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, implying that Jesus imagines that in some way they are alive. And so death, Jesus raises Lazarus, right? Death does not seem to be a complication for God and or Jesus either. Yeah. Right. And so the moment you eliminate those two pieces for people, we're kind of left flailing. And most people can't argue for, a reason for the death of Jesus on the cross uh, using the Bible. They can point to prophecies, what they read as prophecies in Isaiah, as to that it would happen, yep. but not to why it would happen or what the reasoning was or how it makes sense in the grand scheme of, uh, of, of faith. Yeah, and so 
um, during that conversation, you asked me to open up to Genesis in, in or 15 and read this. And so what we have here is uh, God makes the covenant with Abraham. You will be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Now, go and get these animals and cut them in half and align them on either side of an aisle from each other and wait. Yeah, let the blood pool. Yeah. Let, let the lifeblood flow out of it. Yep. And, uh, and you know, just wait. And so Abram does this, and he falls asleep right. while waiting. Or it says a deep dread fell over him. Yeah. <laughs> no shit it does, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and so um, he has this dream of this, fu- this fire and smoking pot that goes down this uh, this walkway between the the offerings, and then. So what was the what, first of all, George? Uh, to keep our our listeners up to snuff here, um, what is the point of a blood path? Uh, it's a um, blood oath. So basically, what happened in the ancient Near East is you would do this, and you'd walk arm in arm with somebody down that path, and if you were making a a promise to them that whichever one of us breaks this promise or this oath, the other one has the right to kill. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, like a severe pinky swear. Or, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was little, we would like take a pin and prick our finger and then touch our fingers together. And it was like a kind of a same thing, sign your name in blood type idea that it was still that same kind of thing though. Uh, thankfully none of us, uh, you know, held each other up to that. Yeah. That you know of. So, um, but it was, you know, the most severe type of oath that you could take in the ancient Near East. And what we see is we see God, like Abram knows what this is. He doesn't ask what this oath is about. And he know well, he knows that the covenants that God's going to ask him to do a covenant with him. Yeah. And so Abram, which might be why the deep dread fell over him as he fell asleep. That's what I'm thinking. So it's great because we see this happen, but we don't see Abram walk down that path. Right. What we see are two images of God that come back in Exodus. Just overall, I mean, just over constantly and constantly throughout the text of fire sure. and smoke representing God, yeah. Um, but, but it is God that actually goes down that path. Twice. Yes. And I did not know what to do with this when you asked me to read that. Yeah, I mean, this picture of God signing both ends of the contract is so beautiful and powerful that the father of our faith, Abraham, enters into covenant with God Almighty. And God asks Abraham, basically, be holy as I am holy. And yeah, I'll get right on that. Right. I will fall asleep. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll pretend like I'm sleeping sound and, you know, don't hear the baby crying. Yeah. And, right. Uh, and so instead, instead of God having Abraham sign one side and God sign the other, God signs both sides. And therefore, from that moment forward, has made a promise that if Israel if the Hebrew people, if Abraham's descendants fail to be holy as God is holy, then God 
will be put to death. Yeah. This is so amazing that from the very beginning of our faith, God was always prepared to die in our place. This is the story of Jesus, right? This is the story. This is the picture that it wasn't that God was sitting around twiddling God's thumbs waiting to send a Messiah, but that God was always prepared to die in place of the Israelites. God was always willing to die in place of the faithful. Um, yeah, it changes everything. Yeah, I'm, yeah, especially, um, you know, I, I remember during that same conversation uh, talking about, well, you know, the, the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. Um, and you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know, but I've always given that as an answer. And you just were not compelled by that. And you kept holding my feet to the fire on that. And then you brought up the, you, you brought up how it played into this, but also, you know, the, uh, the priests used to sprinkle blood to cleanse the temple before the burnt offering. Right. And so like this, this passage fundamentally changed my understanding of God. Yeah, talk about that more. So before, um, I, I think most people who grew up on the outskirts of evangelicalism or within it, like God's always this old man with this checklist and, you know, I'm just waiting for you to screw up um, because you're going to, because you're fully depraved and all this other good stuff, which we covered a couple weeks ago. But this idea that from the very beginning of God wanting to, God wanting to make a covenant with people. God didn't need to do that. But God did do that. And God chose Abraham to do that with. Yeah. So like this idea that there is this thing out there, whatever it is, that wants to be involved intimately with creation to the point where they will die for creation. Right. Is just so beautiful and just so compelling that why wouldn't why wouldn't I want to be a part of this? Right. Like it 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 changes the at least for me. This might be controversial for some people, but like it changes the the way that if you were to continue to evangelize, it would change that. It's no longer, "Hey, you need this for X reason." It's, "Hey, I want to be a part of this." Because the thing that set into motion the creation of all things wants to be intimately involved mm-hmm. to the point of suffering. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's stunning. Well, and here's the other thing uh, that, how does this contrast to what we just read in this Genesis section leading up to how God handles when the world becomes corrupt? So he creates Adam and Eve and their descendants do not remain holy as God is holy and God destroys them. Yeah. Now God makes a promise to Abraham that if you do not remain holy, I will be put to death. 
I will die in your place. This is a huge transition. I mean, this is a major shift in God's theology, right? If that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. if that doesn't ruffle your feathers, nothing will, right? God's theology has shifted from being a God that is willing to exact or interested in exacting uh, justice through putting people to death to a God who is saying that if you do not live up to my high expectations, I will die in your place. This is, is such an interesting change of story. Like if you were really reading this as a prelude and then the beginning of the story, you're like something has changed. Something significantly different is going on. God is no longer going to kill uh, the people who fail to meet God's expectations, but God is willing to die in their place instead. Yeah, and this, like, what what really makes me so sad about this whole part of this conversation is that uh, this is, I, I would make the argument that this is a bigger shift than Adam and Eve eating the fruit and being sent out of the garden. Like, sure. Yeah, okay, That that's a schism in the story of God and creation. But that's given so much more weight than this is, and this is more impactful. Right. Like, we were always eventually going to eat the fruit. Like, that is, some, that is something that, if you believe that that was a literal thing that happened— that's something that was going to happen. A garden is not a static image. A garden grows, and so do people. But to hyper-focus on one moment where humanity takes control and to instead of focusing on when God shifts theology or God shifts and says, these people are worth it, could you imagine being told that as a kid? how much that would have shaped your life and changed it. Yeah. It would have done wonders for me. Well, instead of God being this big brother eye in the sky that was watching my every move, waiting to uh, prepare a place in hell for me. Yeah. Uh, it would have been instead a, a big brother who uh, instead was willing to take the fall for me when I got caught doing something I shouldn't have done. Yeah. Seriously. Like, this is not, I think I shared this one time uh, last season, but one of my early memories of Sunday school was being taught the trolley problem and God was the conductor. Mm. Yeah. And Jesus was the track that, or he was the, the kid that, you know, or the, yeah, the whatever, person, however yeah. it goes. Yeah. But like that doesn't hold water if this is your opinion of who God is. Right. And, you know, this also gets rid of some of the other complications, right, of like that God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. But God has always been willing to die in place of God's people, that God God had placed this or had this in mind from the beginning of the Hebrew people, uh, that this isn't like, uh, yeah, that God— like we always want to pit God against, you know, the New Testament versus the Old Testament God and or Jesus against God. And it, it kind of eliminates some of that complication. Yeah, it really does. And it's, I don't know, it's just something that I find absolutely compelling. And I absolutely love about this part of the text. Yeah, and this is such an important piece because this is so early on in the text 
um, we kind of have in some way a story being developed to kind of lay out the character of Abraham. We then have a picture of showing what God, how God views God's covenant with Abraham and Abraham's descendants. You know, in the same way that, you know, uh, God promises Abraham that he will be fruitful and multiply and have all these descendants. It's the same story basically is now follow me and I'll show you the land in which you're going. And then he runs into a famine. I mean, in some ways it's, it's a famine of, of loins, if you will, that, uh, Abraham and Sarah can't have children. And, and Abraham just has to go with God and see what's going to happen with this descendant thing, even though there's a famine when he starts to travel down this path of faithfulness. And all of this is just uh, a great setup for what, you know, should build in us an anticipation of what is the power and the beauty of the story that's to come. Yeah. Um, well, are there, is there anything else you want to talk about from this portion reading that we didn't cover yet? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> All right. Well, um, if you have any questions or, you know, uh, any ideas or just want to, if, if you're inspired from anything from what we just talked about with this part of the text, feel free to shoot us an email or, you know, hop on our uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Hey, we have to throw a shout out uh, yes. here. Um, again, I believe I said it at the preamble from the previous episode, but this and the last episode and actually every episode from here on out is brought to you and sponsored by our listener, Warren Manerick. Yeah, I mean, I think he just got tired of us saying, uh, and next week we'll address our audio problems. Yeah, uh, he was nice enough to donate some uh, equipment for us. So again, Warren, thank you very much. And if you have any problems with our audio, please uh, forward all comments to uh, him. Yep. (laughs) Well, that being said. He's our sound tech now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that being said, I have been your co-host, George. I'm your co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Hey everyone, it's George. Just a quick reminder, please stop by wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a quick rate and review. Five stars help other people find this show and that means we get a wider audience. Also, again, if you have any questions, want to submit anything, shoot us an email at uh, avengerbros at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Avenger Bros. So have a great week.